This morning we continue with our sermon series on the Gospel of Matthew, and we're in chapter 5, starting at verse 38 through 48. It's on the front of your bulletin, but also on the back of your bulletin is the other passage we're going to read from Judges. I know between the Revelation we just read and now Judges and Matthew, that's a lot of scripture, but it's all part of one big context this morning. So uh, follow along with me, if you will, on the cover from Matthew. We will start with chapter 5, starting at verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also a second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And then from the Old Testament book of Judges, just so you understand, this is a bit of a parable or a prophecy that happened in the time of Judges. From Judges 9, starting at verse 7. When Jotham was told about this, he climbed up on top of Mount Gerizim and shouted to them, Listen to me, citizens of Shechem, so that God may listen to you. One day the trees went out to anoint a king for themselves. And they said to the olive tree, be our king. But the olive tree answered, should I give up my oil by which both gods and humans are honored to hold sway over the trees? So next the trees went to the fig tree, come and be our king. But the fig tree replied, should I give up my fruit so good and sweet to hold sway over the trees? Then the tree said to the vine, come and be our king. But the vine answered, should I give up my wine, which cheers both gods and humans to hold sway over the trees? So finally, all the trees said to the thornbush, come and be our king. And the thornbush said to the trees, if you really want to anoint me king over you, come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, then let fire come out of the thorn bush and consume the cedars of Lebanon. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and by your Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Do you know why I love America? I mean, it, here, here it is. It's the context, right? This is the weekend before a national election, so it's on everybody's mind. But here's what I love about America. When you go back to the book of Judges, 
you discover that we've been working on a project as a people that is thousands of years old. When you go back to the book of Judges, it's a time where there's probably two traditions, at least two traditions within Israelite culture that is trying to figure out how to organize themselves as a people. There's one tradition that very much wants a king. They look at the other nations and they like the person sitting on the throne that everyone can look to and they give the answers and they're like, we want a king, we want a king, we want a king. And you can tell that by the next book of the Bible, which is 1 Samuel, that sure enough, God gives them a king. But there's this other tradition that shows up very much in the book of Judges earlier where you get the impression that God does not want a king. What God wants is to be king. God wants to be in charge and God wants to rule directly over the people, which is why there's these people called judges. They're not kings. They're just people who are raised up by God, called by God in a particular time to do a particular thing in history. But God is king. And so you have these two competing traditions in Israel and you get this very uncertain history that even when God finally says, okay, fine, you can have a king, that they're never quite comfortable with the fact that, well, kings don't always do the right thing. That's the prophecy that shows up in Judges. You go to one tree after another, and each one is not prepared to be king. And you end up with who? Who is king? The thorn bush. As we go into this next week and we do another national election and all the anxiety and uncertainty and everything that comes with it these days, I just want us to remind that we've been working at a project as Americans that honors something that goes back thousands of years. The idea that there doesn't have to be a king. And I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm not claiming that we have to be a particularly Christian nation or that we have ever, ever got it completely right but just in that sphere of people hearing sermons and responding to the Bible in Western culture over hundreds of, thousands, or hundreds of years, even thousands of years, the idea that we finally clued into the idea that we don't need a king to be God's people is amazing. Voting, if you haven't gone and vote, I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir. If you haven't gone and voted, go and vote. It's your prayer. But then consider also what we prayed as our prayer of confession this morning, which is the book of Revelation, right? The very end of the story, not the beginning like Judges, but the very end of the story where we do have a king. And the king is the thorn bush, more or less. It's the least of these. It is Jesus Christ. And don't miss what happens in that part of Revelation. Jesus is on the throne. And John, who's writing it, is crying. He is weeping because there's this scroll. And I know there's a lot of symbolism there, but think of it as the scroll of justice. That all of history needs to finally come to a complete end. And so there is this scroll of justice that needs to be opened. There needs to be this fairness that lands over all of creation, finally. And John is weeping because nobody 
is good enough. There is no tree, in other words, which has been observed all the way through history. There are all those kings. No one's ever actually good enough. And so he is weeping because nobody can finally bring an end to the story. Nobody can begin the final justice by opening that scroll. And John is weeping until Jesus takes the throne. Until Jesus takes the throne and he begins the rest of the book of Revelation. I know Revelation is a tricky book, but here's the basic relationship you need to get. God brings justice to the end of history. And the saints pray. Right? Nowhere in the book of Revelation is God's people called to arms to take up and complete justice. It is Jesus. He is the only one who can bring justice. That's true justice. Theologically, what we're talking about is the idea of the already and the not yet. That when Jesus dies on the cross, that he makes a way, that he has in that brought the kingdom of God. It's already here. God can already reign directly. We don't need a king. But there's also a not yet and not yet to how all of that will work itself out in history until that moment when Jesus as king on the throne opens the final judgment and actually brings justice to creation at the end of history. The already and the not yet. And into that great big context, we get the Sermon on the Mount. It's in this moment in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus looks at what has already been, which is, you know, that, I don't know if you know it, that where, again, where he says, you have heard it said. Where you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, you know where that comes from? It's from Mosaic Law. It's from way back at the time of Judges. And it was a brilliant concept in its time. Because you've got to imagine a world with no laws. If somebody plucked out your eye in a world with no laws, what would be your response? It would probably escalate beyond plucking out their eye. This is how wars got started. And so the Mosaic Law came along and said, look, justice begins with the idea of fairness. If something happens to you, that's all right. There is a way to make it right by doing something equal, not more. Jesus shows up in the already of his kingdom and the not yet of what has been and what will be, and says, yes, justice will still be true. There will still be that fairness. But for my disciples, until the day of when I open that scroll, I expect, I expect something more than your fairness. And what is it that Jesus is basically assuming and expecting of us as his disciples in the already and not yet, in that space in between while we wait? Prayer. Jesus expects us to look at all those that we've decided to call an enemy and in our own hearts, in our own lives, to turn them back into neighbors and to start praying for them. That they will get that justice as well but that justice, as we're reminded too, begins with fairness, ends with mercy and grace. 
Just like in the book of Revelation, we are not called to rise up with arms and to create our own future. We are called in the book of Revelation to pray that God will bring it about. And the Sermon on the Mount, that's exactly what Jesus does. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I'm not throwing that away, but what I'm saying is that until true justice shows up, fairness into mercy, into grace, you are not worthy of opening the scroll. So I want you to pray. Pray for the justice. Seek after the justice. Don't have a king. But if there is that final scroll being opened and everything else that happens in Revelation, it is God's action, not ours. And I'm not going to pretend as I stand here this morning telling all of us as disciples of Jesus Christ that it's easy because I know that it's not. It's interesting. Uh, I did not plan on this passage coming up right before the national election, right? This is just the way it landed, which is, I always think is probably God. <laughs> God lands the, the passages we are supposed to read on a Sunday morning in the right time. I can tell you from the last couple of times we've had an election, next Sunday will be the hardest Sunday of the year. Because half of you will be heartbroken and half of you will want to be going, So God gives us this passage, I think, this week to remind us that we, nobody wins when someone else loses in the kingdom of God. We have to pray for each other. But, so God gives us this. God also then provides sermon illustrations. Here's my sermon illustration, real life one from Friday afternoon. God making sure that I know what sermon I'm given. It's Friday afternoon, and I decide it's finally time to go vote. And I head into Kingston, and I set three hours aside to do it because, you know, it's been lines all week long, right? That's all you see in the news is lines, lines, lines. So I go to Kingston to vote, and I walk into their polling place, and guess what? Five minutes. Everyone's already voted. So I'm in, and I'm out, and I'm going, yes, I win. What next? Because I just set aside three hours for something that took five minutes. So I decide that, well, here's the thing. I also have a dog. And I am so sick of walking her in the snow in the winter that as that snow started to fall this week, I said, you know what, we're going to put up some fencing, at least some chicken wire in the backyard so that she can just go out in the morning. And on those bad days, I don't have to take her, right? So I go to, well, I won't say the store name because that would be rude, but it's the big box store in Kingston, New York, that's not Home Depot, okay? <laughs> So I go to the big box store in Kingston, New York, that's not Home Depot, and I'm looking for fencing, which means I go to the garden center, and I go to the way back of the garden center, where I, I'm pretty sure it's at, and I look down the first aisle, and there's nothing there, and then I look down the second aisle, and it's still not there, but what I do notice is they put up their own fencing. Have you ever been to the big box store in Kingston, New York, that's not Home Depot, and they've got the back section sectioned off by fencing because they've, they've got people in the back using the big, strong equipment. All right, so they're, they're back there doing stuff with pallets or whatever, so they've got it blocked off. Still haven't found what I'm looking for, so I just go row by row. They're all blocked off, and I'm looking and looking. I finally see the one way at the other end. And way at the other end, there's a couple of uh, employees just standing there talking. And one of the employees 
says to me, she goes, can I help you? Now, this is the moment where I made the biggest mistake because I thought she was being sincere. And so I looked down at the, you know, I'm standing next to their fencing, looking at the fencing I want, and she asked me, can I help you? And I said, well, I need the fence. I would like to go down there and get some fencing. Or no, I just said, I need fencing. And then, and here I have to get the tone right. Okay, she goes, it's blocked off right now. <laughs> and I look down at the fencing that's right next to me. I mean, literally, I'm standing next to it. It's two inches from my hip. And I look at it, and I look at her, and I go, I can see that. And then she says back to me, can you wait until they're done? And I was just, remember, I was winning half an hour ago. And I'm like, I just flabbergasted at whatever it is that she's doing right now, right? And then she and the other associate kind of walk away and start talking. And I just put my hands up and went, wow. And I wish this was the end of the story because at least then I would kind of maybe not look so bad. But here's how the rest of this goes. I am livid, right? My winning afternoon has just been taken over taken away from me with this condescension and this insulting rudeness. And I'm like, where did this come from? I didn't do anything. So I march out to my car and I pick up my phone, which this is the thing I should stop taking me with me when I go to these big box stores in Kingston, New York that are not Home Depot because every single time I'm like, I'm going to say something. So I get in the car and I call the store and it rings for five minutes straight, which sounds horrible, but Boy, did it give me the chance to get my rant correct, right? I mean, I was just like, I'm the customer. How dare you talk to me? I did years in retail. I know that. You know, the whole rant. I had the perfect rant worked out. So finally, they answer the phone, and the customer service lady says, how can I help you? And I say, I want to talk to a manager. And she goes, who are you? And I say to her, it does not matter who I am. I want to talk to a manager. And she goes, I can't connect you unless you tell me who you are. And I say, well, I'm a customer with a complaint. And she goes, let me give you the 1-800 number to the big box store. And my response was, I don't want that number. I want to talk to a manager. And if you don't want to be on the list, when I walk back into the store and start raving at the customer service desk, you will connect me right now. <laughs> she puts me on hold. And eight minutes later, I finally hung up because nobody ever picked up that call. <laughs> surprise, surprise, right? It, being hung, basically being left on hold was probably the best thing for me at that moment. Because forget about national elections. And forget about thinking that this is just, these texts are just about those moments when it feels like the whole world is at stake. Let's narrow it down to our worst moments. When we feel like out of nowhere, somebody was rude. Out of nowhere, somebody insulted us. Out of nowhere, somebody condescended to us that we didn't deserve. Somebody needs to remind me I sat on the phone ready to just take it out on anybody who would listen. When my anger got triggered, somebody needs to remind me that two days later I was going to be standing here and talking to us. Who are we? Who are we called to be? Jesus gives this sermon for exactly because of who I am. Easily triggered 
by my anger, easily triggered when I feel insulted or condescended to or somebody was rude. He is talking to me, and that's why it's constantly being reminded to us in these scriptures is, who are you in that moment? They are not your enemy. They are your neighbor. And whatever's going on in their life or whatever they think about you in that moment, you are called to turn it around inside yourself to be able to pray for them. One of the biggest uh, criticisms of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, particularly in this passage, is the idea that he is encouraging victims to remain victims, right? You ever heard that before? Just lay down and take it, turn the other cheek, where's the justice? I like to say that I don't think Jesus is talking to people who have actually been living through abuse or are taking a whole lot of pain or suffering unfairly in their lives. He's talking to people like me and maybe the rest of you sometimes too, that in those moments, those smallest moments, when we get triggered and our lives are good, but we take those moments, he's talking to us. He's not talking to people who are in the midst of abuse. He's talking about when life is actually pretty good. And he is talking about a justice, a justice that is between the already, he's made a way, it will be better, and the not yet, where reconciliation makes sense and laying down our swords will make sense. It just doesn't make much sense yet. A reminder again of who we are between the who, what he's already done and what he will do and who you are in the midst of it are people who turn it around inside yourself from enemy to neighbor to praying for the kingdom of God for them as well. The criticism is that Je Jesus is doing the opposite of justice, but what you have to remember is that he's promising justice when it's done at the end. And the only one worthy to sit on the throne and figure out what that justice looks like is him. Because it's not just fairness anymore. It's not just eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. It's boldness of mercy and grace that he will figure out what ju justice looks like. Even in the smallest moments, the reminder of who we are. So we will hear Jesus being, we'll hear the criticism that these passages mean that Jesus is not interested in justice. I completely disagree. He is totally interested in justice. And you will also hear the criticism of Christians who follow it, that they are foolish. So one more passage to read. And this is my, my closing. Just going to read these words from the Apostle Paul. If we preach Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to Jews and the foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jew and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many of you influential, not many of you were of noble birth. 
But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised, despised things and the things that are not to truly nullify the things that are so that no one can boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. I love America because it got that project in its heart of no king. But from here, from the already to the not yet, can we put it in our hearts in that project to stop hating each other, loving each other, and praying for each other that we will all experience the kingdom of God? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus into the world, and he, the Lamb of God, the thorn bush, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, we pray for that day when he will break open the scroll and justice will flow like mighty waters. And God, we pray that you will help us with your spirit within us to lay down our arms and to allow Jesus to be the one who sits on the throne. In these turbulent days, may we keep our eyes on each other Help us, God, to stop seeing anyone as our enemy and instead see each other as neighbor, all of whom will receive justice and grace and mercy with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.